We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's episode of BuzzBeat, we bring on two-time guest Div, or as many of you guys know him on Twitter, StatCenter, to look at the Hornets season 25 games in. We were also able to throw him some listener questions his way. All that and more up next. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh! All right, guys, what's up and welcome to another Buzz Beat. This is Richie and I'm joined by Brian and Spencer today, as well as a returning guest who I will introduce here in a second. BG and Spencer, were you guys able to enjoy the Super Bowl at all or was it just too lopsided for you guys? That was an awful, awful game. (laughs) (laughs) Number one, because I had to watch Tom Brady win again. Uh, But more importantly, I really thought that had a chance to be like one of the best ever. And I was actually excited to sit down and watch a Super Bowl, and it, it really stunk. So yeah, I uh, I had way more fun watching the Hornets earlier in the day, and uh, and watching Liverpool Man City, and watching the tape of Texas Oklahoma uh, college hoops from earlier in the week than I did watching the Super Bowl. I, I stopped watching in the second half and just watched Twin Peaks instead, which I'm enjoying <laughs> going through right now. Uh, I'd sort of like hit a rail, so. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Twin Peaks is awesome, though, by the way. Season two is uh, I'm enjoying it right now. You're already on season two. Yeah, I'm wow. flying through wow. it. Season one, there aren't that many episodes. Oh, God. Gotcha. Um, although the first episode is sort of like a double episode. But yeah, no, I'm 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 chugging along here. All right. Let's introduce the main event of the show here. We got Div. Thanks for joining us again. How's it going, Div? Hey, it's going great. Thanks for having me. So, Div, I was actually looking at your Twitter the other day, and before we get into this, I, I was uh, wondering, how often do you update your bio? Because I saw it said 52% NBA, 29% Hornets, 19% long twos. I didn't know if that was something <laughs> that I had to refresh, or, or is that up to date? Uh, I would say I probably refresh it uh, once every couple of weeks or so. Mm-hmm. I used to have a pretty long Twitter bio, and, and lately <laughs> I've decided to go a lot more streamlined with it. So I'm, I'm work, <laughs> work, workshopping, excuse me, some different stuff. So yeah, let me know if, uh, if you like that stuff better, what I used to have in there. <laughs> All right, let, let, let's jump into this. I know that the Hornets played the Rockets on Monday night. It was a very convincing fourth quarter. 
but we're going to take real, a, real, oh, real yeah, quickly, Richie. Will we, will we know we'll definitely be in Div's bio uh, by, by the time Monday morning rolls around is a three-time guest on, on buzz B that is, is the first three-time guest. Um, and we really That's appreciate awesome. it. We love having Div come on here because it, he makes us smarter. And so we enjoy that. So well, I didn't, yeah. you know, I, Brian, I didn't want to put that in my bio the first or second time because I thought it might've just been a fluke, but three That's times right. now I feel like I can sort of commit to that. So. That's right. That's right. You're the, uh, uh, what, like the Alec Baldwin or whatever of, uh, <laughs> of, of Buzzbeat here. So, yeah. Anyways, thanks again for coming on, man. Really. This will be a fun one today. The nationally renowned, three-time guest, the nationally renowned Charlotte Hornets podcast, Buzz. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Maybe soon enough with all the eyes that the Lamelo brings. Um, yeah, ESPN. Yeah. They're either going to have to pick somebody to cover this team, or they're going to have to relocate one of their staff writers. So because that, that <laughs> day is coming. Uh, yeah. By the way, shout out to the uh, the Athletic too for. Uh, but not having a you know a beat writer uh, you know months before Lamelo arrives in Charlotte. Great timing. Great yeah, timing. just, just yeah. a perfect job there. All right, like I said, we're not we're not going to necessarily look at this from a game to game view, but let's take a step back and look at it from a holistic point of view here, Div. And and let's first start talking about some schematics with this Hornets team under Borrego. I think the most obvious difference is the pace of play. I know when you look at the numbers. The team is actually like in the bottom half of pace, but I think that stat can often be misleading because this team does grab, you know, a good bit of offensive rebounds, which continues the possession. So regardless, the Hornets, if you're visually watching them on TV, they want to push the pace. They want to turn the opponents over and get out and transition. What have you noticed, Div, about this team when it comes to to getting out and running? And how much of that do you think is tied to their success? Well, I, I really like the way that you framed it, Richie, because I same here. I don't really care that much about the pace number, that one number on its own, um, because most importantly, it includes what the other team is doing on offense as well. Right. Um, which is kind of problematic. What I care about is how often the Hornets get out in transition um, and especially with LaMelo and Miles and Malik. Uh, to me, it makes all the sense in the world to try to get a shot before the defense is set mm -hmm. and so last year, uh, the Hornets were 16th in the league in transition frequency, so just a little bit below average. This year, they're up to third. Um, so I think that's a much better indication of what's happening. What's interesting is the average half-court possession has actually slowed down a little bit, um, and I think that's a little bit of a Gordon Hayward effect happening there, mm -hmm. and I'm totally fine with that. Um, but the really cool part is you've got more transition opportunities, and the other interesting part about it is they're actually – average at transition frequency when LaMelo ball is off the court. Um, so nothing really changes from where they were last year, but when he's on the court, they're number two in the league. So it's a lot about this one guy just sort of taking charge and saying that like, this is, you know, this is what we're going to do when I'm, when I'm on the court. And I want to see him as much as possible to be about LaMelo and, and to a lesser extent Malik generating early offense. And then, Gordon and Terry and Devante being able to generate offense in the half court. And eventually I think LaMelo can contribute a lot in that area as well. Um, but he's just, he's so much more confident right now in transition opportunities and people are willing to run with him. So, you know, given the difference in efficiency between transition and half court opportunities, not just for the Hornets, but for anybody, I'm, I'm happy to take those anytime we can. You know, Div, I, I want to touch on something you said there, because I think it's an important point. You said, you know, when, 
when LaMelo's off the floor, Hornets are still average and how they're getting up and down. And I remember <laughs> blast from the past when Paul <laughs> Silas took over for, I believe Larry Brown, when Larry Brown got fired from Charlotte, I, I think I have this correct. And, he, and you know, Hornet or Bobcats at the time were last and pace me and played at just an incredibly slow speed. And Silas said, I don't know if we have the horses like day one on the job said, I don't know if we have the horses to get up and down with the best in the NBA, but playing fast and playing with pace is a mindset. And it's a decision you make, of course, athleticism with miles bridges and LaMelo ball, you know, basically a quarterback, as soon as he touches the ball on the back floor, those things help. But to your point, even when the mellow's off, the Hornets are playing fast. And I, and I think it's just, it is in this team's DNA now, um, which I think is just an important point to kind of bring up. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you look at last year with as low as they were on pace, and that's obviously the stat that people will often focus on in terms of is the team pushing the ball or not. With as slow as the Hornets were playing, I think a lot of people said, well, wait, is, is this what Borrego really wants to play? Because he keeps talking about eventually getting to pace, but they're not trending in that direction he seems to me much more comfortable with the way they're playing right now, not even the specific uh, plays that they're making, but just the fact that they're looking to be aggressive in the first five, eight seconds of the clock, instead of being deliberate, you know, eight out of 10 times down the court. Yeah, this is, this is true pace and space. Like look how look at Charlotte's tempo and look at their shot chart. Um, Yeah. This is not walk the ball up and run spread, pick and roll X number of time per game for Kemba in 1819 or, or Devante last year. And it helps because to, to the point you guys were just talking about, like it's in their, it's in their DNA because they, they want to do it, but it's also helpful that they have the athletes like Spencer mentioned and just a variety of playmakers now too. Like you got Cody Zeller, mostly in the half court with Zeller, yeah. but you got a guy that can can play make in the half court. You got open court guys like Miles and Malik, and certainly Lamelo is the the true game changer. But Devonte can pass and transition. He's he's a very good hit ahead passer. Saw that plenty uh, during last season. But you've got two power forwards on this. You're two power forwards on this roster who also effectively function as your backup centers. The, those guys can handle and pass too. Um, so it's, you've just got a variety of playmakers. And I think because of that, it just maybe on the margins, it, it allows for a little bit more uh, you know, opportunity situations for you to take advantage of in terms of attacking and as opposed to just being solely reliable, relying on, you know, one or two guys to, to, to run pick and roll and generate offense for you. And I, I actually think this is, one of the stats that I give a lot of credit to LaMelo for this, but certainly everyone on the roster plays a role. Last season, after a turnover, Charlotte averaged 9.4 seconds per possession uh, in terms of average possession length. That was 28th in the NBA. They scored 1.24 points per possession on those looks. That was 19th in the NBA. So, you know, that near last in terms of pace after a turnover and about middle of the pack, bottom third in terms of efficiency on those possessions this year, um, that's up to seven. That's down. I should say down to 7.4, 7.9 seconds per possession after a turnover that is fourth in the NBA and they're scoring 1.36 points per possession on those looks. That's seventh in the NBA. So this year they're getting more possessions are coming after a turnover because they're forcing so many turnovers defensively. And on those possessions, they're significantly faster one and a half seconds uh, to be exact. And in terms of efficiency, that's almost like a 10% increase in efficiency too. 
And it certainly that's a team effort, but you, you got to know that LaMelo is the, the catalyst for all of that. And he's also rubbing off on other players too. Like he's, he's now not the only one throwing baseball passes. You see miles bridges throwing that pass, you know, full length of the court down the, down the court to start things up. And it's just rubbing off on the other players. And, and one thing too, I, I think it is directly to tie to their success because if they are pushing the pace, that means they're one getting stops. I mean, not, not that they can't push the pace off of makes, but they are much more effective when they are doing it off of turnovers or off of rebounds. So I do think that for this team to compete in the East, they can't be a team that turns to their half-court offense really all that often, even though Gordon Hayward is a big bonus in that area of the court. I, I do feel that they're going to have to continue with this pace of play, as we call it, and continue to push you know, the pace and, and make those defenses get uh, at a disadvantage there. I think, I think another area that's boosting this team has been their offensive rebounding div uh, for a team that doesn't shoot the ball. Well, it's wise to crash the glass or at least have some players that can mix it up on the offensive glass. You got players like LaMelo and PJ and, and Zeller certainly bridges are all helping this team in that department, especially recently. And, this is, this is a balance that I know that Borrego has had to have in his mind about transition defense versus offensive rebounding because JB always mentions that the defense, his defense, has been pretty good when the defense has been set. But when they where they've been poor is in transition. You know, I mean, getting back, picking up people, communicating, that's always been an issue with the Hornets, I feel like, for the past handful of years. But... To that same point, for a team that doesn't shoot the ball well, you try to get extra points. You're, you're trying to crash the glass, but that does put you at a disadvantage on the transition defense. So what are your thoughts overall on this team in terms of trying to crash the offensive glass and how that balances with getting back on defense? Yeah, you you mentioned that it seems to have picked up recently. And so um, that that's exactly right. So for the season as a whole, Hornets are pretty much exactly a dead even offensive rebounding team in terms of offensive rebound percentage. Um, but over the past two weeks, which is obviously a small sample, but they're top 10 in the league during that time. Um, so the simplest explanation for that is Cody Zeller coming back. Um, he's got, I think, about a 12 percent offensive rebound rate himself. Um it, so for comparison, I think Biombo was at like nine, nine and a half uh, during the time when Zeller was out. So, you know, Cody's really been hitting the glass hard and that's been huge. Um, but I think it's also been more of a team effort. You mentioned LaMelo right. way above average for his position in offensive rebounding rate and other guys are chipping in here and there. Um, to me, the big thing is I think Borrego's vision of a spaced court on offense and a lot of motion as well makes offensive rebounding a lot easier on guys who aren't big men. Um, and obviously we've got one big man on the roster uh, or in the rotation right now, you know, one guy over six, seven in the rotation, but having, uh, you know, with the, the defense having to move around a lot more, um, cover more ground, there's more chaos happening on the court. I think that opens up more chances for a long rebound to come free, even to somebody who is not traditionally a big offensive rebounder. It can be more of a team effort. Mm -hmm. So I like the way that those two things sort of fit together. Um, you know, I think what Brago wants to do in the half court and, and going after some offensive rebounds when the opportunity presents itself makes a lot of sense. What I don't think is going to happen is sort of the, um, you know, the, the Andre Drummond, one guy is just going to be cherry picking offensive rebounds, uh, you know, and, and not getting back at all. I think it's going to be much more situational uh, with the Hornets. 
you know, whoever's in a position to do it gets an opportunity to, but everyone else has got to get back. And like you said, I believe more in this team's half court defense now than I expected to at the beginning of the year. Hayward's a big part of that. And Zeller's come back strong as well. So if, uh, if there are enough numbers coming back to limit transition opportunities, if the Hornets are getting more transition opportunities than their opponent, you know, I really think that that changes the calculus a lot for the overall game. So, uh, but, but I don't want to go back to never going after offensive rebounds and sort of punting it the way that the Spurs have for years under Popovich and some other teams have. I mean, I think that needs to be a component for the Hornets and I think they're doing it pretty intelligently right now. One thing I do want to mention before Brian or Spencer jumps in here, and I think this happens more off of made baskets, but one thing that I have noticed with Terry Rozier, he he will pick up three-fourths of the way up the court. So if there happens to be a transition opportunity for the team, he's there to kind of slow down the ball handler, you know, a little bit, a little bit. So I think that kind of adds a little bit of a, a different factor there in terms of getting back on defense. Yeah, great point. Yeah, I think Rozier's like point of attack defense uh, has actually shown up pretty well uh, in a couple games recently. Rozier's such a he's such an interesting player. A lot of positives, I suppose, this year. Uh, and then that's a great observation on Rozier Richie. He, I feel like Terry misses plenty of assignments defensively, but that is like that is a, a value add having a guy that's willing to guard you know seventy five feet from the the hoop and I think you Div and Richie you both touched on this like offensive rebounds being a bridge to another to like an like extending the possession as opposed to like really as opposed to turning into just an immediate scoring opportunity because this team doesn't have a Drummond type or a you know Rudy Gobert that's just gonna you know vacuum up offensive rebounds and turn those immediately into dunks if you're looking at like synergies if you're looking at synergy data uh the hornets actually rank dead last in the nba in put back efficiency so attempts that are coming after an offensive rebound that you're directly going back up um a lot of that is because of biz who's shooting 39 percent on put back attempts this year uh overall the team shooting 42 percent but lamello 43 percent zeller 50 percent pj 54 percent miles 75 percent but not a lot of a volume so yeah those offensive rebounds those are great especially in those chaos situations. And if it's LaMelo, like he's thinking next step ahead. And sometimes that's finish the play. And other times that's whip it to the other side because someone's spotting up, you know, ready to, you know, sprint into a catch and shoot three here. Someone's in the corner or something like that. So I, I like them as, as the is an extension to the possession in a way to sort of like catch teams off guard and scramble situations as opposed to where you just have sort of like one, seven foot six ten guy or whatever in the middle that's just grabbing every offensive rebound and trying to you know go back up and and, and stuff it yeah i mean it's something i want to watch closer with this team um i'm not you know i'm not sure if it's uh because charlotte does make teams scramble defensively the way the ball pings around and gets side to side i mean it's just it's going to be a natural component of what the defense is going to have to do against them so i'm, I'm interested to watch more of where these opportunities are presenting themselves and how Charlotte is trying to create the opportunities. Um, one thing, just an eye test note that I've, I've noticed a few times, they've become pretty proficient at the, at the tap back, whether that be somebody mm-hmm. crashing from the baseline, um, you know, a Caleb Martin type of player, kind of a wing three or four crashing from the baseline. Uh, Zeller's really good at that. You know, biz is pretty good at that too. Tapping it back to the top of the arc. 
uh, opposed to just going and getting two hands on it. So I'm, I'm interested to watch that more. But, you know, I, I think Charlotte, had, they have to seek these chances. They've been better in the half court offensively. I would say over the last 10 days, I think I checked that today, and they're about one point per possession in the half court, which is pretty pretty far above average for them so far this season. Um, so, you know, but if you assume that Charlotte is going to be a, a half court offense that falls somewhere in that 17 to 30 range, probably more in like the 17 to 22, 23 range across the league, you know, those teams, if, if they want to compete, keep their head above water offensively, they have to seek the second chance opportunities. And Charlotte's athleticism comes into play here. Miles Bridges, I, mi- I mentioned Caleb Martin, you know, they've got to be strategic with how many they send to the glass, you know, but I, I think they do have the personnel to create second chances and to this point minus a guy having a guy like Andre Drummond or, um, you know, the famous Deandre Jordan, maybe stealing rebounds on in every possible chance that he could, you know, it's not how this team's going to do it. So it's going to be more by committee. So yeah, I've been, I've been impressed. I mean, everything the Hornets have done in the last two weeks, honestly, has been, a tick, two, or three above in almost every single category, defensively or offensively, uh, from where they've been. So you just got to against some pretty good competition. There's some really good teams mixed in uh, in those games. So you got to hope that continues. But yeah, offensive rebounding, something the Hornets, like I said, they're going to have to seek all year. Last thing I'll mention here, unless Div, you want to add one more thing about this, but since Zeller has returned, January 22nd, I believe, is when he returned, he is seventh in the NBA in offensive rebounding. And Charlotte as a team, is second in the NBA in just total number of offensive rebounds. Not not an offensive rebounder percentage, but just the total number of them. Yeah, I think that's huge. And it's interesting. I mean, I was looking at Zeller's numbers this year. Um, he's you know obviously not played very much, but he's above the 90th percentile for his position in offensive rebounding, which is above his, his career averages. So it may you know regress back a little bit. But it seems like it's a little bit more of a point of emphasis for him with the coaching staff than it's been in previous years. Zeller's having such a great offensive season. Like what he's doing, you could see it as soon as he got back. Um, what he does handling the ball, they run offense through him at the elbow or they they throw it to him and they run split action on the opposite side. What he does in the handoff game, his screen roll activity, as we've known for years, um, is a real weapon. But he's just having a phenomenal season and lineups with Lamelo and Zeller on the court are killing people. Uh, 120 points per 100 possessions, uh, with almost 370 possessions with Zeller and and, and Lamelo on the court. But just they, when he was gone, you knew they couldn't score unless they had PJ at the five. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, they can put these. Uh, they can play 48 minutes with uh you know zeller pj miles if you if you know you mix him in for a minute or two there at the five and you can just have competent offense with all with playmakers all over the court screeners screen scatters all over the court and and having zeller allows you to do that and that doesn't even speak to what he does defensively for this team we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's transition, Div. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this team's defensive scheme specifically. I, I think we've talked about transition, what, what the Hornets are trying to do offensively. You know, they played so much zone earlier in the season, and they're still playing quite a bit of zone. We've seen less of it, I think, since Sailor's been back. I, I don't know what the, the exact numbers on that are. But when you look at – let me just – let me preface the, the question this way. When you look at how much zone the Hornets have played so far this year, and you look down the road, as they're almost a 500 team, now there's this expectation they're going to at least be a playing team, if not just straight-up playoff team – those expectations are probably lofty and, and not realistic still to this point. What do you think about the defensive scheme so far, how it's worked? I mean, they're keeping their head above water. They've been actually close to a top 10 defense here the last two weeks. And what is going to work moving forward if the Hornets actually do want to be um, a serious contender in the play-in or, or just a straight-up playoff berth? Yeah. So I'll, I'll preface this by saying at the beginning of the season, uh, my prediction was the Hornets would be 27th in the league in defense, in defensive rating. And obviously they are much, much better That's than that That's very right specific. Now. That's very specific. 27. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I really thought about how many teams I was willing to, to put below them. Yeah. And then I could yeah. come up with three. Uh, so, I, uh, so I had... I had very low hopes uh, for the defense at that point. So obviously you could look at the amount of zone that they played and say, well, that's been a big part of them keeping up. I'm a little bit wary of it uh, moving forward though. I I totally understand the reasons for having gone to a lot of zone, especially once Zeller got hurt. There was one guy in the rotation over six foot seven at that point. um, And that was Bismack who obviously brings a lot of limitations in other ways. Um, So I, I get it. And I do think that um, it fits with a team that has a fair number of like-sized guys. You've got a bunch of guys who could qualify as big wings or medium-sized wings on this team. Um, so, so it makes sense from that perspective. Me personally, I just want to make sure it doesn't become a crutch. I still think of zone as being the Hornets changeup, not their fastball. Um, you know, I want it to be something that. Uh, The Hornets can have in their back pocket, can use it situationally or against specific teams where it makes sense, Um, you know, depending on who the opposing big man is and what kind of shooting the other team has. But, you know, as of a week ago, I mean, I I don't think there was any other team within five percentage points of of zone usage uh, of the Hornets. I don't know if that's still the case, but it wasn't even close. That feels like a little bit too much to me. It it feels like a a little bit of an over-dependency there. So, you know, can this defense survive for 72 games playing 90% man? I'm not sure. You know, I guess, I guess we'll find out. Um, but I, I, I didn't look at the, the games where there was a heavy usage of zone and think to myself, boy, you know, once other teams get a lot of tape on this, this will still be as effective. I, I was starting to get really worried about sort of diminishing returns on that. And, and I continue to be worried about that. 
Yeah, I think initially it might have been done out of necessity just because there's not a lot of great defenders, one-on-one defenders on this team. And I think some of the early season struggles and just communication breakdowns and confusion in that zone defense, because it it looked very different in the beginning of the season, to my point of view. It could be because they didn't have a full offseason. They didn't have a full mini camp, training camp, whatever you want to call it, to install it. I think there's a lot of that that goes on. Not a lot of practice time. And to your point, I would definitely like to see it closer to 10 to 15% of the possessions and not closer to the the upper teens or the 20s. But if JB feels like he can improve upon it and it works, I guess I don't see a big problem in it. I will say this, you know, if you've played basketball and you play zone, it does force you to communicate a little bit more or, you know, just as much, if not more. And maybe that's a habit that JB's trying to to develop with this team as well, because communication along with effort is just mostly what makes up defense in my eyes. I will say that I, you know, it, it, we went through a stretch before Zeller got back to where it kind of started as this matchup zone concept, just play the man in your area in, in the Hornets. Just, I mean, it was very clear early in the season, like this is way too much. These guys can't think their way through this. And then, and then, and then before Zeller got back, Rego kind of reeled it back to more of a traditional two, three, Less, you know, still got to communicate, but just less having to think your way through these possessions. Zeller comes back, we get more man to man. And I got to say, these last few games, and it held up against a guy like Bradley Beal. I understand he still had 31 points or whatever, but like that's my stress test for now. What is this very complex? I mean, it looked awesome last night, especially in the second half matchup zone that kind of neuters whatever the offense is trying to get into. I mean, it just completely takes you out of whatever you want to do. So you just got to find the matchup mm-hmm. um, that you want. And then the Hornets going to have to scramble out of that. So they definitely are on the same page more with this matchup zone concept. So, you know, we saw Philly slice it to shreds. I mean, Joe will be whatever. I mean, he's, yeah. he's the king of the <laughs> yeah. deck. He's going to, yeah. you know, crush most matchups, but I do think this team is more aligned with this matchup scheme right now. And that Rockets game last night is like one, a film for how, how you really actually can confuse an NBA offense and take them out of everything they want to do. Houston had no answers. Yeah. It's it, it to the point you guys were bringing up, like I like it as a matchup or situational thing. Like you find an opponent that you can, you can throw it at and really, you know, uh, muck up their offense and use that to ignite your transition game. Like they did against, against Houston. And I like it too, as like a, you know, late game leverage situation after timeout, you know, play opponent opposing team has the ball. They call a timeout. They, they drop a play to attack man to man that you've been in for the last five minutes or whatever. And, and boom, you come out in your little matchup zone and, and then they've got to readjust to whatever they just drew up um, during the timeout. I like it more for, for those purposes. And yeah, I, I think perception meets reality where they are playing less zone. Uh, now that Zeller's back. Uh, Synergy has them at 19% of their half-court defensive possessions have been zone. That's still most in the NBA by a lot. Uh, Cleveland is second at like 12.5%. So there's still a big gap there. But I think even when we recorded a week ago, that was north of 20%. That was in like the 21% range. So even the span of a handful of games, you're seeing that that change a, a little bit more. So, yeah, it does, again, them striking the right balance between when to break it out, for how long to break it out, um, and then the, the, the parts, the players inside of the system just being better. 
is, is, is huge. And no matter what they do defensively it, to tie this back in with the offense, offensive stuff that we mentioned at the top, like whatever they do, it's got to force turnovers and it's got to generate pace because they want, they want to, they want to get on the break and Lamelo is like a cheat code for some of that stuff at times, but it still requires um, forcing turnovers. So, uh, but yeah, it does having Zeller come back and that just opens up the defensive playbook for them because they can, it's easier to guard ball screens. If you really wanted to, we've even seen them switch a little bit, one through five um, and, and Zeller allows you to do that. Uh, too. So more possibilities when on both ends of the court, when, when Cody is, when, you know, when he's in the, when he's in the lineup. Side note here, before we get to the next topic, obviously with zone defenses, you got to worry about the defensive three seconds. Maybe it's just me, but who has been the only player that has picked up D threes on this team in your eyes? Oh, this is not an official stat, but this is just based off of my observation. Man. Um, okay. Maybe, maybe maybe I'm overanalyzing this. It makes me like, no. Well, he may. Because he's just he's a good help defender. I can see him parking himself yeah, in there. Yeah. yeah. And because of the matchup tendencies, they really like sometimes you'll like the way that zone sort of like shapes yes. and moves around. Yeah. You're like, oh God, Devontae Graham's playing the middle of the two of the zone right now, you know? Uh so yeah, sometimes <laughs> right. those, those parts interchange a little bit and you can get, you know, get a get a small guard caught down on the uh the baseline or whatever. Rosier? I've noticed Biz do it a lot. Biz do it a lot okay. a couple yeah. times. <laughs> I, I would have thought it was like a weak side, yeah, yeah. wing or yeah. guard. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not totally surprised. That that probably would have been my first guess. That my first guess too. <laughs> hey, shout out to Biz. Awesome defensive second half last night. He, he was incredible against. Yeah. That's probably the best game he's had all year. Was what he did against uh, what he did against Houston. He was awesome both ends. Let's talk about Cody Zeller real quick. Just your overall thoughts, Div, on him returning, how he affects and how he contributes to the success of this team. Obviously, on offense, he's a ball mover, a screen setter, on and off ball. Uh, on defense, he keeps the rotations or keeps the team out of rotations on defense, which helps the defensive rebounding, uh, which has been an issue for this team for the past several years. Could it be argued, Div, not not that Zeller's the best player on this team, but he's like the most important player on this team? Yeah, I think it could be. I, I mean, every time Cody is out of the team, which sadly happens way too often, um, I realize how much I miss him and how much the team misses him. Um, you know, and, and like you said, it's on both ends of the court. He just stabilizes everything. I, I think he is legitimately one of the 10 best screen setters in the NBA. When you combine sort of the quality of the screen, um, the different angles he can take, you know, I, I think he's just amazing at it. You know, that helped Kemba for years and years. It's helped Devante. And I can't wait for him to get more reps with LaMelo because I think LaMelo is going to be amazing at figuring out how to use Cody's versatility on that as well. Yeah. I love that the ball doesn't stick with Cody. Um, you know, if, if he gets it uh, in a situation where there isn't uh, a shot opportunity, he's looking for the pass quickly there. Um, and defensively, I mean, he's just consistently in the right place. You know, it, it, there's no sort of secret uh, sauce to what he does on defense. It's just consistent um, and solid. Uh, and you see the impact every year. I mean, this year, just as happens almost every single year, last year was an exception, but almost every single year, the Hornets are average or slightly above average in net rating with him on the court and negative when he's off. And the same thing has happened so far this year, obviously, in a, in a small sample size. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what the short term, but especially the long term future of the center position looks like for the Hornets. And I mean, I I personally 
it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where Cody isn't a part of this team, at least for next year, if not for the next two years. That doesn't mean he has to be a 27 or 30 minute a game guy both of those seasons. But just in terms of providing uh, solidity and uh, and leadership and just sort of a floor for half the game or, or whatever portion of the game he's in there. And then you can build sort of above that as well with hopefully another athletic big. You know, to me, that just makes a lot more sense than, you know, trading him away now or yeah. buying him out or, or letting him walk at the end of the year. Yeah, so, there's not going to be there's not going to be a Cody Zeller buyout this year. Like, that's no just, way. That, that, that's just All not right. that that's not that's not happening. They're they're too good. And released for right now. Yep, that's right. Well, you know, we'll see how we'll see how the record shakes out They're They're. I don't think this team is the sixth best team in the Eastern conference. Uh, but you know, we'll see how that, how that uh, manifests itself out over the course of the rest of the season. But also like, if you actually felt like if you, if you, if the team started to backslide and Zeller was healthy and you, you should still be able to find a market for him if you really wanted to move off of him. But I don't to do Like I agree with Div. I, I don't see that happening because he is for, not only is he a top 10 screen setter in the NBA, which I agree with, he has been for half a decade, you know, for five years now, six years now. Yep. I guarantee you, LaMelo, this is like, we talk all the time about LaMelo as a basketball genius. And, and I certainly subscribe to that, that, that belief. LaMelo's played basketball all over the world, even though he's only 19, all up and down California, Lithuania, you know, New Zealand, Australia, He's never played with the screen with a you know a dive man a screen setter like Zeller before. This is not Josh Boone and AJ Ogilvy right. down with the Elora Hawks you know a season ago or David Anderson like Cody Zeller is you know a top fifteen top twenty center in the NBA and his best strength is is just using his his frame to get guys open. So um, you know long term I think eventually you do you want truly like a, a rim runner a vertical threat to pair with uh with 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 Lamelo so that you don't have to just always you know use draw plays to get your your four your three with miles lobs but having a guy like that in the middle would be nice but for now Zeller as an elite screen setter plus a short roll guy is a nice part is really a nice piece to, to partner up with with all of the guards on this roster including Lamelo all right so I, had, I went down this like thought spiral today um <laughs> Just because I, I'm trying to find a way to get Bismack Biombo completely out of the Hornets rotation. <laughs> <laughs> That's where this started. Uh, although great, great second half last night, Biz. So do you think that this, that the Hornets, it makes sense for the Hornets for a few different reasons that we don't have to go into, but do you think it makes sense for them to find either through the buyout market, which is not likely for a team like Charlotte, more likely through trade to find an athletic center that can relieve, I, I just, I don't subscribe to the PJ Washington at center minutes when it really matters. Like, so in the playoffs, do you think this team does need to get into the trade market for a backup center? that can eat some of these other minutes and I ask it for two reasons. I already mentioned one, uh, no biz and less PJ at five when it matters. Uh, and number three, the Hornets have really been trying to, at least from my observation, trying to watch Zeller's minutes carefully. So it tells me that they need some help there. Um, even though those PJ five minutes look really good on paper, I just, I, I have a hard time believing they would hold up. Do you think they should trade for a center at some point if the success continues? 
Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I mean, to be honest, I, I did even when Ziller first got hurt um, and, and it held up better than I expected. And I go, I've got to give the players and, and Borrego a lot of credit for that. But I mean, looking forward, if you keep this team as is, uh, the commitment is sort of there to play PJ 15 to 20 minutes a game at center. And, and I agree with you that right now, you know, I, I almost feel like he's the center for two reasons. Number one, just sort of by default, because somebody else has to be there when Cody's not. And like you said, Cody can't play that many minutes. And number two, because PJ just, to me, looks more groundbound this year. And he looks more like a center than a, than a power forward all of a sudden, because he's less explosive, but he just, to me, I, I think it's a lot to put on somebody that young um, to say, you know, play a significant portion of your minutes uh, at center, which obviously is not his, his most comfortable position uh, on defense. So I would love to get a center. And, and to me, the other center you have with Cody doesn't even have to be, it's not like they have to be perfect and solid in every way. Um, I just want somebody who provides more of a vertical element on both ends of the court. Um, you know, if, they, exactly. if they're a little yeah. more mistake prone than Cody, I mean, pretty much everybody's going to be more mistake prone than Cody. <laughs> That's okay because you've got some solid pieces around them. But I, I just want to see more easy baskets and a little bit easier time on rim protection when, when Cody's not near the basket. I'm watching New York so closely because I, I think that just when you talk about eight to 10 minutes a game, whatever, maybe less like Nerland Noel would be perfect for what the Hornets yeah. want to do. Yep. Absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That yeah. would be a, that would be a good bit of business for everyone too. Would it not? You know yep. what I mean? Like, you know, maybe New York gets something in return. Hornets would get a backup center that gives them some rim protection and a lob threat for LaMelo. And, you know, Nerlens gets to, you know, go out on a little playoff run, which is, you know, maybe not happen with New York this year. That's a great, he's a, he's a good one to, I like, A, I like that signing in general for New York when it happened this off season, when they got Noel. You like it better than uh, dropping three hundred, or excuse me, three point five million dollars to Bismack Biyombo? Just saying, here you go. Yeah. Come back to be a good locker room presence. Here's three and a half million dollars. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, I like that one a little more too. In terms of on court, uh, on court performance, yeah, I think you can expect. And Nerlens, like he was a really solid backup defensive center the last couple of years with Oklahoma City. Um, there were a variety of you know, sort of like catch-all impact numbers that always screamed out. This guy really helps them defensively when hey, he's on the court. Spencer, Spencer, you do know that when LaMelo wins Rookie of the Year, he's going to, in his speech, talk about Bismack Biombo, how he nurtured him through the process here. He might, well, The man. Hornets are going to make him do that. Yeah, no, they're going <laughs> to shove this big brother thing down our throats. They're going to justify this contract one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, the, there's, a, there's a little bit of a push on social media recently to like highlight the 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 friendship the burgeoning friendship between those two which is 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 kind of cool oh but, sorry yeah, before you I, get to this next topic brian i actually have a nickname for those two you know airbnb has not been endorsed by Lamelo with him so and miles it is disappointing it's such, a, it's such a good nickname man but i i it's have amazing yeah. i have a, a a nickname for the combo of ball and biombo we're gonna call them have you ever guys do you guys remember butterfinger bb's Butterfinger BBs. Yeah, I do. Yes, so because, definitely. Because Biombo can't catch the ball, Butterfingers <laughs> BBs with the perfect. The, it's perfect. There you it's go. Perfect. I, I like it. Let's uh, let's get you in touch with the marketing department and see if we can uh, and see if we can get on this here. Love it. Um, I am. I actually am wearing my my oh, nice. Kemba. This is my bleep shirt, which uh, Richie made a couple of years ago, 
And when I randomly uh, a couple of years ago ran into someone that worked for the Hornets out uh, getting pizza in downtown Durham, they this person from the Hornets asked me, hey, did we make that shirt? And I was like, nope, very nerdy podcast that I'm a part of. We put this shirt together, actually. So, Richie, your your ideas, they 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 have some traction. Don't don't doubt yourself when it when it comes to these things here. Let's let's push forward. Um, speaking of pushing things forward, uh, Lamelo Ball is pretty good at that. You know, when we talk about Lamelo, you know, the encore topics generally seem to focus on transition play, which we hit on pick and roll components, which we talked about. Um, and, and how he partners up with Zeller, but we've even touched recently on how he's attacked switches, what his pull-up shooting's looking like. By the way, 37% on pull-up threes for Lamelo this season, which is uh, is unbelievable start so far shooting the basketball. Um, however, you know, I think Charlotte and, and JB have tried using Lamelo in, in a fair amount of uh, different ways. We've seen him play both sides of the pick and roll. Um, you know, he was that slip option uh, with Hayward handling and letting Charlotte get in some of those four on three situations. I, I think that was maybe against Atlanta like a month ago or so. But we've even seen uh, LaMelo run off down screens. Last night, they went to that little pin down gut action a couple of times, yeah. uh, three possessions against Houston where Hayward ran in. They opened up the middle of the court. LaMelo was down like underneath the whole goal or on the block. Hayward went down, set a little down screen for him. LaMelo came off and Hayward posted up uh, after the, the the down screen and they got two foul. They got two fouls on Houston and a three for LaMelo off that. The thing I want to open up to everyone on this. And we've also talked about the, certainly the, the two man partnership with miles bridges too, and how much fun that's been this year, but for all of you guys, and we can start with you, Div, you know, be as creative or outside the box as you'd like to here. How would you, what's, what's maybe one thing, an action, a play type, a partnership, something you'd like to see more with LaMelo ball in terms of half court offense uh, between now and the, uh, the end of the season, even if it's something just to experiment with. Yeah. I I love using him as an off-ball screener, and, and I love seeing that gut action last night. Uh, I, I thought that was really, really cool. And I like the idea of right now running it with Hayward, Hayward because Hayward has been in every one of those situations, right? He's been both the screener and the person receiving the screen in any possible situation. So it's sort of a perfect way for LaMelo to get introduced to that and, and pick it up. You know, I, I want to take just a little bit of a step back. Um, so cleaning the glass uh, lists LaMelo as a point guard uh, by positional. So if we go along with that, LaMelo as a 19-year-old rookie is above average for his position in usage, shooting efficiency, assist rate, three-point percentage, drawing fouls, steal rate, block rate, offensive rebounding, and defensive rebounding. There may be other stuff too. I just I, I ran out of time to, to look up anything else. It's insane. So, it's insane that they have this guy. It's insane. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, 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 and, it's crazy. And that um, diversity of skill set right now is the thing that has shocked me the most. I mean, he, he's been a revelation to me. And I say that as somebody who had him number one on, on my personal board. Mm-hmm. Um, but I expected him to be good at one or two things as a rookie, particularly ball handling and passing mm-hmm. and pretty bad at everything else. And I figured year by year, he would pick up one or two things along the way. Borrego would take it very slowly with him, only put him in situations that he felt very comfortable with. And I think that it's such a credit to LaMelo that he has demonstrated such a wide range of capabilities this early on 
and the ability to do a lot of those things efficiently. So in terms of, you know, specific play calls, I mean, I mentioned before the, you know, running more off ball actions. Part of that is because I think he's got the IQ for it. And I think he and Hayward can, can really do some interesting things there. The other part is he's already starting to get a level of attention that I can't mm-hmm. believe he's getting as a rookie right now. Like, you know, I, I figure teams would think of him as, okay, well, when he's got the ball, we'll pay attention to him, look for the pass, not the shot. And when he's off the ball, he's going to be pretty clueless and, and spacey and running into people. And that hasn't been the case really at all. He's, he's an impactful player off the ball. So um, I, I mean, to me, like this season is, is playing with found money. Like I, I know obviously in the playoff race and, and I'm sure that Jordan and Kupchak see it differently than I do, but from my perspective, like let him explore the studio space as much as mm-hmm. it makes sense to right? any sort of opportunity that's out there. Because one of the questions I want to be able to answer by the end of the year is who else in this rotation fits best with LaMelo. He's along with Hayward, the two pieces that you can confidently say are long-term pieces. And, um, and so, you know, the more opportunities he gets to explore and try different roles, the better we'll see how other people play off of him as well. And I, I think that's one of the most important things that the Hornets could get out of this year. Yeah. I think, uh, I think Bridges and Hayward would be the two players that I just off the top of my head would pair perfectly and have paired perfectly with LaMelo. And I remember asking James Borrego, like shortly after we drafted LaMelo about like, you know, how are you going to use him off ball? Because he's clearly seen as this primary dominant ball handler. And he basically said like, he's not going to stand in the corner. We're going to get him moving. And we've seen that. So to your point, Div, he's been used off ball a lot. And maybe you would want to see that a little bit more. I think I would actually like to see him on, you know, as a screener more often. I think, yeah, yeah. I think anytime you can get Lamelo as a as a slip option and and get him yeah. going downhill, especially yeah. if that ball handler is Gordon Hayward or a shooter that that draws some gravity out to the ball, four on three situations are already an advantage as it is. You put the ball in a slip screen to Lamelo, yeah. it's even more of an advantage. So I think that's where I would like to see it, Brian. Yeah, I I agree with that, Richie. That that was my thought exactly. I would like to see him as the screener as much as possible, you know, especially with Hayward um, hunting that mismatch. We've seen that a lot this year, right mm-hmm. at that nail area towards the end of the shot clock, specifically at the end of the game when Charlotte needs a bucket. They will make Lamelo the screener, uh, or excuse me, make make Hayward the screener, get the switch, and give it to Hayward. I'd like to see that in reverse earlier in games, earlier in the shot clock, because Lamelo is going to read those advantages quicker than anybody else on the roster. So as soon as the, as soon as the switch or the mismatch is, is located by the defense and somebody tries to post somebody up, Lamelo is going to fling it opposite to the corner or whatever. I mean, he's, he, he's a machine. He's a computer at, at reading a defense and how, you know, and, and what they're reacting to. Um, <laughs> did amazing. All those things you just read off. I mean, I got to be honest. I, I mean, and this is a biased take because, you know, I'm close to this team. I've watched it for 10 years for better, for worse, and all the terrible prospects we've had. And <laughs> I just, so maybe this is a biased take and, and, and skewed, but I don't think there's been a draft prospect surprised me more in, in like the history of me keeping up with this league. Like I, you know, it's almost like, and I thought about this a lot. It's almost like he kind of just took the year off in Australia. Like he was there, he was scoring points. He was like throwing sweet passes and he was flashing this, you know, like you said, great ball handler, great in transition. We knew all these things, but like, there's just, there's no way he gave 
100% effort because he looks so much different this season from the guy that we saw in Australia on tape last year. And it tells you he has, a, he has a switch too. Like he has it. He can flip it anytime he wants. Um, if he wants to play hard consistently, his smarts are going to raise him above you most likely because he, there's it's just the total package. I mean, if the kid is going to play with this much effort and the shooting will come back to earth, whatever, that is what it is. But if he's going to play this hard on both ends, combined with how quickly he thinks the game. I don't, I don't know what the ceiling is. I really don't. I mean, it's definitely multi-time all-star. Yeah. I got to say, there's like some hall of fame crap going on right now with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I, I it, don't want to get too ahead of it, but he's 19 years old. It's, yeah. it's hard not to get like a little ahead, right? Because he's right now, he's checking a lot of different boxes and he's got some characteristics and some skills that, are already like the passing is elite already period. Like it's, it is, um, he's getting to the hoop a lot. His finishing at the hoop has actually not been that bad. He's drawn fouls. And as Spencer said, the, you know, the shooting probably this year will come back down a little bit, um, maybe to those low, low thirties, mid thirties. But you know, if LaMelo gets to, if he shot pull up threes with more volume, but with the, with the efficiency that he's doing now, that this 37, 38%, like, yeah, it's going to be really, he'll be really hard to guard because he's hell bent on getting to the rim. He's a brilliant passer. He can draw contact. Um, he's unselfish. You put the right pieces around him. And, uh, and if he has to make teams honest and go over those screens or, or switch or whatever, like, it just changes the, it changes everything for him. Um, it, it let it, it, what it does is it opens up the ability to get to the best versions of LaMelo ball as a, as an NBA player and like an engine of, of offense. Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing to see so far. It, it really, he, it's stunning. It honestly is. All right. We have a, a few listener questions here, Div, and, and we can go through these fairly quickly. Before we get to the listener questions, I do have one quick question to all of you. Just want to pose it real quick. Um, you don't have to get too deep in the weeds here. But now that, speaking of LaMelo, now that LaMelo has inserted himself into the starting lineup because of some injuries and some you know shifting of the, the rotations there, it doesn't feel like he should be taken out of that starting lineup. Let's just say everyone is healthy. All things are equal. What is the ideal starting lineup for this year's Hornets team moving forward? I have an idea, but I think it might actually be different than than you guys. So, uh, Div, mm-hmm. go ahead. What do you think? Yeah, this, this is a really hard question. It, it wouldn't shock mm-hmm. me if all four of us had different answers here. Um, <laughs> I, I know, so, I know. Spencer's got Biz in his, but yes. <laughs> playing point guard. That's yeah, <laughs> leading the league in uh, chemistry per possession with Biz <laughs> out on the court. <laughs> Um, all right. So I will go, um, I'm going to go a little, I think unconventional here. I'm going to go with LaMelo, Terry, Hayward, Miles Bridges, and Cody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Devonte's game is well suited to being a six man. I think Malik's great in the role that he's playing right now. I want to just keep him sort of stable in that role. Um, and I, frankly, I'm just kind of concerned about PJ right now. I, I, I did not envision at the beginning of the season a scenario where uh, Miles would make more sense at the four than than PJ does, but in my mind right now, I think there's a little bit more upside with Miles being in the starting five. 
Yeah, I'm concerned about PJ as well, and I, I have him actually out of the starting lineup, but I do have a little bit of an adjustment to yours. Uh, so I'm going to go with the three-guard lineup. It's worked well this year. Uh, Devontae Graham, Lamelo Ball, and Terry Rozier. Then you're going to have Cody Zeller at the five and Gordon Hayward at the four. Those five have not played a ton this season together, actually only seven minutes. And if you look at the the net rating there, it's pretty lopsided in a positive way, but you can't really take anything from that. But I agree. I agree to your point that Devonte Graham is probably better suited long term coming off the bench. But I I just like that three guard lineup a lot, and I know it could give up some things defensively, where you're going to ask Terry Rozier and Lamelo Ball a lot on the defensive side of the court. Graham will have to guard the opposing point guard, but I, I like that lineup. I like it a lot, and, and PJ is a little bit of a, uh, having a concerning season. And I think moving him to the bench and, you know, Borrego does a great job of shifting and staggering rotation. So I don't think the issue is going to be, you know, who finishes the game, but I think a lot of people are just wondering who starts for this team when all are healthy. So that, that would be my five. I think that lineup's going to close a fair amount of games. Uh, once Devonte comes back, uh, whether it, it starts or not, it's interesting, but yeah, that, that I could totally see that being, Charlotte's yeah. best lineup in, in a couple different scenarios um, and certainly seems likely to produce very good offense. You've got four creators. You got four guys that can shoot pull up threes and you got an elite screen setter that can offensive rebound. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty ferocious. Um, I would still go with, I would go with, because look, I don't like an injury taking away and like a minor injury too, taking away someone's starting spot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because it's something that Devonte, you know, he earned it. And these things matter. I mean, the, the four of us can, we can, we can sit around and say like, look, Hey, it matters who closes the games. That's the, who plays leverage minutes. That's what matters. That's what matters most. But starting is still a big deal in the NBA. Um, you know, Devonte's in a contract year. Uh, assuming they can get him to buy into it though. I just think LaMelo has been too good. Yep. If he, if he had come in and he'd been mistake prone or been treading water or up and down, but like he's playing like an all-star right now. So it's like, how can you take this dude out of the starting lineup? So I would go LaMelo, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward. I'm sticking with PJ yeah. and Cody Zeller. I'll say this about PJ, a couple things. I'm not hitting the panic button just yet. Yes. The season's been disappointing. Um, he's taken fewer three pointers this year. Maybe that's because he's playing more five. He's taken fewer corner threes this year so far, which is a little disappointing. I think he's having a little bit of bad shooting luck, but we've got a weird off season where he couldn't be in a gym for like nine months, basically, except for that little mini camp that they had COVID's happening. He had an injury. He's being asked to play a lot of center. He's being asked to play a lot of zone. Um, I still think the playmaking and defense have been okay, but the shooting and look, the, the rim run numbers, the, his pick and roll numbers are down. Post-up numbers are way down from a season to go too. So look, it's not, I'm not like glossing over some of the issues. Like there's some, some concern, but Mm. these are the ebbs and flows you're going to have with, with the young, with a young prospect. He's just 22 years old. Like, you know, he's going to have be good for 40 games and then bad for five and then okay for 10 and then good, you know, it's just, it's going to be, and then long-term you want something sustainably good. And I think PJ is going to be a starter in the NBA for a long time, but, uh, but yeah, right now it's just, it's a, it's in a really, it's not in a great situation, but I would still go with that. And then I would have my bench mob be Devonte Graham, which I think he's, I think long-term his best role, as I've said on this pod before is like, 
six-man gunner, run a second-unit offense, cook against second-unit defenses, Malik Monk and Miles Bridges. That's a pretty fun eight-man rotation. So that's what I would go with. And then, look, another injury is going to pop up or someone's going to get on a cold spell. And then from there, you know, like, do you move the piece, you know, Devontae can slide back in or, so, or whatever. But uh, for now, I think you got to have him beat at six-man. Like, he's still going to play a ton, you know what yeah, I mean, and get yeah. possession. close. So. It's not a huge demotion, you know, but I, I could see I, I could see why it's important to be gentle with it too. Yeah, I have um, I have the same starting lineup as you, BG. Uh, you know, I, I just I think that there's no way you can take Lamelo out, which you you guys have all said. Um, and the reason that I really want to keep PJ in there, uh, and all great points, Brian. I, look, I'm disappointed mostly because he just came in out of shape. You know, part of that, whatever, COVID, the other part, like, figure you're in the NBA. Figure out a way to keep yourself in shape. Um, he came in out of shape. But I want to keep him in there because I don't want to overstress Gordon Hayward, you know, at, at the power forward position on defense. And, you know, this guy is, I mean, you know, he feels like we're always one step away from wanting to just put him in a bubble, right? You know, because he's, he's pretty fragile. So I would not ask him to play a lot of power forward defensively. Richie, your lineup, though, I think that's the closing line. I mean, that is that is probably the best lineup the Hornets can get to. No question yeah. about it. Yep. Um, so, you know, that that's that's what I would say. I think Terry has just his off ball proficiency shooting this year. It, it just it, it fits so well with LaMelo. I don't know how you'd bring him. I don't know how you wouldn't start those two together. And to Brian's point, you know. Devonte is going. He's going to close a lot of games, especially when he's got it going from the outside. One thing to watch here, though, that I think is interesting. Like one way Borrego might be more comfortable with your lineup, Richie, is if Malik Monk could run the second unit, which we've seen him yeah. do a little bit at point guard these yeah. last two games. Yeah. Obviously, more out of necessity. But if Monk's playmaking like jumps another level here in the next month, now you can now like that opens up the entire chessboard. For Brego, if he can trust that guy to run the second or, or what I would even call a third unit, you know, because uh, if he's got point guard skills that can stick, but well, I tell you what, the Hornets are they're a problem offensively now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys keep saying that my lineup is a good closing lineup. Well, I would just keep them in the whole game. So, like, no subs. I would just keep – I would start them, finish them. So. <laughs> Tom Thibodeau sees no problems with that, Richie. Tom Thibodeau uh, would, love to, would love to employ that strategy. Would love to do it. Here's here's the question for you, Div, from a listener of ours. What do you? What's one thing that Lamelo needs to prove on offensively, and that what's one thing that he needs to prove on defensively? Um, so I'll start on the defensive side. So I, I've been overall really happy with his off-ball defense. Not that it's been perfect, um, but but there's a lot of good stuff there. I love the deflections, mm-hmm. um, the steals. Uh, he's even shown a little bit of rim protection ability, which uh, which has really surprised me. He's at least willing to go in there and mix it up when needed. Um, but, I, I mean, on ball, he... He's not always a disaster, but it, it can be really problematic. And I mean, look, he went to Australia and that was literally the first time in his life he had ever done a defensive slide drill. Right. So <laughs> the the basics of on ball defense are completely foreign to him or at least very new to him. So like, I totally uh, understand that part of it. I think what I'd like to see specifically in terms of on ball defense is just a little bit more attention to the tendencies of the guy that he's uh, that he's playing against take away the number one thing on that guy. You, you've got the size and the athletic ability to do that. Um, and then if he beats you with a counter, so be it. That's fine. Um, you know, then it's team defense at that point. 
Um, I mean, on the offensive side, it's it's actually tough to find something that uh, that I would really nitpick on there. Yeah. His decision making, I think, has been really, really good. I'll go back to sort of off ball screening. Um, you know, I want to see him just be a little bit more involved in terms of being screener off ball. And like you said, I agree on ball as well. Um, you know, I think give give more opportunities for that as well. So, yeah, use him more as the screener and uh, and let's see what he can do with that. All right, last question we'll get to is from Mark Schindler. He asks, what do you think prime Glenn Rice would average if you put him in today's NBA game? So I'm just like closing my eyes and imagining a little bit taller Anthony Edwards like four years from now, maybe averaging like 22, 23. Yeah, look, Glenn, Glenn Rice could score, man. I don't care what area you yeah. drop that guy. He's a shooter. He could do it off ball, you know, towards the end of his career, really in the middle of his career. And certainly when he was in Charlotte, you know, they used him in a lot of different ways. So I think he came at the perfect time, probably uh, in terms of basketball errors. But I still think he's a 20 plus, you know, point guy at night at his prime uh, in today's today's game. My, my ball might stick a little bit. You know, most most scores in that age did. But he was such a good shooter, Richie, yeah. that, I, you know, it's a skill that is going to transcend any error. Yeah, and you and you could feed him in the the mid post area too. He kind of has some Gordon Hayward in him, and just in terms of how he can score. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. I was trying to think of an analog for him, and one thing he just he would just shoot more threes now, which would be great. He would score a lot of points by upping the three point volume. But like, you know, like Hayward's interesting. I was thinking like somewhere, you know, the the first just closing my eyes and trying to think about these distant memories, like maybe middle Chris Middleton. Is that an analog of some type that was sort of the one, I mean, Middleton has been, he was incredible again last night against Denver. Um, but yeah, Middleton was sort of like the closest, not maybe not this version of Middleton, but maybe Middleton from two seasons ago or something like that. Like this, that was sort of like the rice comparison. I was, I was uh, trying to make in my head, at least. He's a very underrated Hornets player in the Hornets history. I feel like. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, Rice was consistently averaging 21, 22 in that range. And then he had one year uh, where he went way above that. um, And I think averaged almost 27. And um, it was because uh, that was the year that the three point line was in, I think. And and he just went bonkers from (laughs) 46 or 47% or something. Shot 47. Yeah. Real quick, Dev. 47% on five and a half half attempts a game. Dude, that was like 12 attempts a game. Everyone had their career years during that. I think it was 94 to 97 is when they bumped it in. And like, That's when Muggsy Bogues had his best three-point shooting. Those are the only two years where Jordan could hit three-pointers. So, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. But, I mean, I think if you took him to now, the two things that change are, number one, he's taking 10 threes a game instead of four or five, <laughs> uh, and he's still hitting them at 39%. Um, and number two, I think he'd probably have the ball in his hands a little bit more as kind of that big wing who mm-hmm. who's running the offense. Um, now, the team may not be that great because some of his other limitations, um, <laughs> but I, I think he'd be 26, 27, maybe in his best year, like 28 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he'd be scoring a whole bunch of points. I mean, Bradley Beal's at what thirty four right now, thirty three or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. Bradley Beal. The the man. That's a whole other conversation. But boy, the Zards are a. Uh, that's a mess. That's a that's a big old mess uh, with with Washington right now. Can I just say something real quick? 
I, if you're Denver and the reason you're not going to trade for Bradley Beals because of Michael Porter Jr., am I the only one that think that that's absolutely insane? Yeah, I think it's insane. Way off yeah. that. that is so dumb to me. This isn't, this isn't trading for you know 31 year old Bradley Beal. You're going to have Bradley Beal for his entire prime. Uh, yeah. I, I I cannot believe that that's a that's a hold up there. Perfect yeah, fit. Perfect fit with Jokic too. Yep. Perfect. And, and maybe Washington, maybe, you know, maybe they don't want Michael Porter Jr. But like this whole Michael Porter Jr., I, I, I don't I understand where the ceiling is because of his his intangibles. But that kid's got a long way to go. I watched a possession last night with with the, in that Denver game where yes. Jokic threw the ball over to Porter. Yeah. And Porter took like four or five dribbles and chucked the contested three. And Jokic just threw his hands in the Dude, air. Like, I, I, don't I, was, know what I don't know what they're waiting on. If they, if Washington's like, yeah, sure, Michael Porter Jr., you should have done it three days ago. Like, this is yeah. stupid. Spencer, I was about to bring up that exact same. Because Jokic was just like, I'm not going to get back on defense. Like, bleep you. Like, I'm like, like, why, like, why would you do what you just did? And that doesn't even include... He had two possessions earlier in that game where I thought he was going to make Mike Malone like just walk out of the building and never return because he had two just like look, MBJ is so talented. I like I get I get why they why I on some level I understand the like the apprehension you want to see how these pieces fit longer term with around Jokic you want more of runway or whatever but like the clock's ticking on Jokic the clock is ticking on uh, them being a you know a, a title contender in the West like. They got to line all these things up at the same time. And yeah, I don't know. I just, last night was not an encouraging game and it came at a bad time for them. If you're trying to like sell yourself on the, the, the like and Michael Porter Jr. is ready to like help drive winning now on a title yeah. contender. It's crazy how we went from Glenn Rice to Michael Porter Jr. Great transition yeah. there, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's right. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again for listening to another BuzzBeat. If you're listening right now and haven't given us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate it if you could. Just scroll down on our page and hit that five stars. Takes all of 30 seconds to do. For Spencer and Brian, for Div, I am Richie. We will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.